Ram, just tell me where your conceit comes from, huh? Your boastful lips will never speak such words again. Come on, Ram. Fight! Maybe you can hum the theme song. Won't hold it against you if you get parts wrong. While the memory's not too strong, there's a piece of you from a time long gone. So while these fuzzy warm feelings remain, question we ask is still the same. To the treasure or just plain lame? Is this still good? Hello, and welcome back to Is This Still Good, a podcast about removing nostalgia goggles and revisiting our childhood treasures, and seeing if they deserve to be in those treasure chests. This is another very international episode that is a continuation of our religion month. Last episode was, was Exorcist, so I'm just, look, I'm trying to make themes. It's, uh, it's good for engagement, is, is what I hear. And I, this voice, I'm Sage, I'm a host. Another host with me is... I'm Gavin, that other host that he was just mentioning. Yeah. And uh, do we do this podcast by ourselves, Gavin? Uh, usually we do not. But today, we're continuing that trend. And I, believe... <laughs> I think we need to throw more like double negatives in here. Today, we have uh, my very good friend, Vineet Sinha. Vineet, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me here. Thanks now, Vinit, do you have a do you have a theme song you want us to put on as as you get introduced? I usually, uh, when I enter rooms, uh, they have the Jigglypuff song playing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was gonna go with like a like a pun thing, like maybe a Vin the Ends uh, by Linkin Park, or uh, what be Vindicated. It's gonna be Vindicated. I mean, I've been revisiting some forty-one uh, recently, and it's been a lot of fun. So we can, <laughs> we, you know, we can go with in too deep or something. Then too deep, yeah. Got there it. Go. Instead of going under. <laughs> Vinit, what'd you bring for us today? My sparkling personality and mm -hmm. um, two hours of battery time on my brain. <laughs> well, speaking of two hours of battery time, we are talking about the Ramayana, Ramayan. R R Ramayan, Rami, Rami Malik. <laughs> Rami Yummies? No. Um, Rami on Hulu. So fun way to pronounce it is uh, think of your uh, favorite Jamaican drink, rum, and then, um, you know, hey, I'm I-N-U, so Ramayan is uh, probably the easiest way to pronounce it. So every, okay, so every time I think about this movie, you just want me to remember being drunk in Cuba? Yes. Okay. And hitting on women who lived with their parents. You know, no shame if you want to. I would like to clarify to that folks. does not mean they're very young. People just live with their parents until they get their own house in Cuba. I think the nuclear family culture, which was propagated post World War II by um, Sigmund Freud's daughter and the State Department, is manufactured, and we don't have to live that way if we don't want to. So glad to have you here. <laughs> Damn straight. <laughs> So the Ramayan, what is it? So it's a story of uh, Prince Ram, um, who's the eldest of. Uh, oh, sorry, know. sorry. We'll we'll go into like an actual summary of it of it soon. Uh, I phrased my question wrong. I mean, like, what is it to you? Oh, my emotions and feelings. I get it. Yes. Um, <laughs> Draw us a picture. Put you in the middle. Make a circle around it, and then fill that circle with the Ramayan. Got it. So when I was about 10 years old, 11 years old, I went to India and 
I, I didn't quite do sixth grade. I was just, you know, I did like two months of it. Then I started traveling with my folks, um, which is why I don't know too many words. But um, after studying, you know, I was allowed to watch TV. So there was like Cartoon Network. There was like Disney Hour, which was, you know, before Disney entered India, they they got like two hours on a, on another channel. And but on Cartoon Network, uh, they kept playing uh, this movie. And I was like, why does this seem familiar, but also anime? And obviously, like, you know, growing up on Dragon Ball Z and, you know, a bunch of other anime uh, and a bunch of US-based animation, um, and obviously being a 10-year-old who's into it, duh. Um, you always look forward to these things. Um, and on top of it, you know, growing up, hearing the story of the Ramayan, storing of, you know, all these Indian mythological uh, and religious uh, um, uh, gods, basically, uh, y- you expect to see, like, a much more domestic, uh, almost like theatric theater quality production, but then to see like a really nicely made Japanese anime featuring Indian gods and you know featuring you know one of the most recognized stories in the world, it was like what is going on? I'm ten, but I know this is kind of unique and interesting. Um, and that movie actually uh, uh, formed like the genesis of uh, many creative things I did afterwards, you know and. It also gave me confidence that like international co-productions uh, don't have to be impossible, right? Like this is, you know, an Indian director and production company working with a Japanese production company in the early 90s. Uh, I don't, I'm not even sure if email was fully working back then, but um, they, they made a two and a half hour movie um, that is still a hit. In fact, it was such a hit that years later, I realized that um, Hollywood uh, took it in. And they did a U.S. version with, like, Brian Cranston as, like, you know, Prince Rob and um, a bunch of other actors, you know, doing the voiceover. Um, and that ended up, you know, having a theatrical run in the U.S. as well. Um, so it's just one of those, you know, movies that um, had no reason to exist, really, at that time that it did. And there haven't been any that have come after it. It's not like India and Japan started making a bunch of animes after that right away. Um, but it stood the test of time and very successful. There's and no four-hour like Bhagavad Gita. No, there's no four-hour Bhagavad Gita. Um, I that think sounds, there... that sounds better the way you yeah. said it. <laughs> yeah. So it's just it's one of those things where like you know it, it it's it's like when they first, when they made the first Lord of the Rings and then you're mm-hmm. like can we get some more of this and then for many years you didn't get anything. Um, it's just it's one of those moments in uh in our sort of like perceptions as creatives that also love consuming other creative goods is you see something you like it you want more of it um and you just crave it and when you can crave it you try to you gravitate towards projects that you know let you fulfill um the dream of seeing it come to life by making it on your own and that laid the foundation of like my scholarship essay to film school i wrote about how i wanted to make the remind like lord of the rings and they were like this guy's crazy come on in <laughs> so so this then has stayed with you from, you saw this when you said you were 11? About. And by the time you were going to college, it was enough present in your mind that you were mentioning it in your applications. Yep. For higher learning. That's rad. I did. I did. Um, yeah. Good times. I'm curious, was this, so growing up, you this this was a story that was adapted and has it sounds like it's gone back like 4,000 years or maybe longer. I don't have a good timing for when the story first originated, but um, this was a pretty late iteration of the story. 
Yeah, so Remind, it's interesting. Uh, the original Remind was written by um, uh, a poet named uh, Valmiki. Um, and I believe the first uh, written record of it was dated back to maybe 5,000 years. Um, mm-hmm. It's pretty old. No, no, no. Actually older. I think 7th century uh, BC, which is 9,000 years, right? Um, and that's the first recorded version that we've seen. So it could have been part of oral memory even before that. We have no way of right. validating that. Uh, obviously, there's people in India who'll say that it's uh, 14 uh, million years old. Or, you sure, know. yeah. And I'm like, sure, you know, I, I'm not counting. You do you. But <laughs> um, the point is that it's a like the, the reason why great stories persist through memory is because they were great stories. I mean, there were probably a lot of stories back then that was written, you know, about like you know, Doug and his uh, apple card in the mud or whatever. And a lot of the stories haven't survived. Uh, but stories like the Ramayan have. And the characters in it have endured uh, and have uh, created uh, cultural and religious legacies that, you know, we feel to this day. I mean, there's temples for Ram and Hanuman and, you know, pretty much everybody. Um, there are so many temples to Hanuman. <laughs> there are so many temples. Uh, Hanuman was my patron god, uh, you know, growing up. Uh, and he still is, you know, keeping close to my heart. Um, and it's just... I believe that, like, you know, um, as polytheist religions go, uh, you know, everybody knows about the Greeks, uh, but nobody really practices that religion, you know? Right. So, um, no offense to anybody who does, of course, but I mean, obviously, of course. most of the Mediterranean... Apologies to all of our of our Greek Hellenists uh, in the audience. <laughs> yeah, but like, it's... Uh, so if you make a movie about Zeus doing things, it's like, you know, it, it feels like it's a part of antiquity, right? Like, oh, yeah, Greeks, we read about them in college, mythology. But in India, uh, the Ramayana is still very much part of, like, the the everyday cultural zeitgeist, and uh, in other countries, even more so. Uh, I believe the king of Thailand, um, uh, in the 14th century, he rewrote the Ramayana because the library burned down, and they were like, hey, you're the king, you must be good at things. Can mm-hmm. you just write the Ramayana because we don't have a copy? And that guy just made up stuff. You know, he just made up like Hanuman was a womanizer who ran away with like Ravan's sister. And, you know, Ravan was mad about it. And he tried to catch his tail. Like it was basically a 15 year old uh, writing a comic book um, overwriting a religious document. So that was kind of funny. Um, wow. So, I mean, and then in like Malaysia and Indonesia, which are uh they're they're you know islamic countries by religion right but culturally they're just extremely hindu still uh they have like annual festivals for the ramayan um you know uh for the character for the gods uh, in it and it's just it's interesting to see that like the religion has been changed completely um but hey they still like the ramayan so you know that's this uh it's just fascinating to see how uh the world has taken something and you know localized it to whatever suits them and the Ramayan is one of the most important cultural stories in Hinduism, right? It is. So the Ramayan and the Mahabharata are like the two uh, big ones. Uh, there's also the Vedas and, you know, from the Mahabharata, we get the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, and there's a lot of other stories, of course. But like, I would say the Ramayan yeah. and the Mahabharata are the biggest. Uh, what's more is that um, the Mahabharata is very long. Um, it's like several volumes. Ramayan is a little bit more... Uh, you know, it's it's shorter, right? Uh, not contracted, it's just a shorter story. Is um, it? It's di- yeah. di- a digestible two-hour epic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can uh, you, you can read more into it, and you can read the uh, the original poetry, uh, but it is much more manageable. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, like the Mahabharata is um, 
it's kind of sad. Like, you know, cousins fighting each other, like nothing good really happens. Vermine also has its sad moments, um, but it's not as sad as the Mahabharata. And it's just one of those, you know, you if you had to like put little... Uh, you, you, if you had to put like little Sanjana Tucker into bed and be like, "Hey, I'm going to read your story," you're probably going to read her the Ramayan over anything else because it's just like, "Oh, there was a prince in the jungle with his wife and brother," and you know, it's just it's it's more palpable across uh, age groups. It's a kind of clear like hero's journey and just things are happening. Yes, but a hero who has flaws. Interesting. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so before we talk really any more about this or its its place in in the world, um, I'm not going to assume that anyone in our audience knows what the fuck we're talking about with this episode, uh, with the exception of, of possibly anyone that Vanit personally sends a link to. Um, so now is probably the time where we should summarize the, the Ramayan, specifically as in this Indo-Japanese anime retelling yeah. of it. And uh, not it, Jesus Christ. Uh, oh, this is... <laughs> do you, I mean, Vinita, if you want to take this on, I'll, I'll give it. A, I'll give it a, a, a stab. Just fill, uh, fill in as I fall off. But yeah, yeah. Gavin, please go for it. I I, I want to hear. That would be my you. preference, to be honest. The person who was not exposed to this before. Yes. No. So this this was actually my first uh, time hearing the story of their mind. Um, so for my for my gathering, there is a king who has three wives and no sons, um, and then with a turn of luck, he's got four of them, mm-hmm. and one of them is our titular Rom, uh, the princeliest prince. He happens to be in the anime really very pale. Sometimes he felt like his color changed quite a bit. To be honest, anyway, sorry. Um, I usually see him as blue and things. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, he's 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 really well loved by everybody, um, except for his brother's mom. Not his mom. His uh, king's other mom. Yep. King's other wife. Who uh, the king owes her a debt. She convinces him to banish Rom for fourteen years so that her son can become king. Uh, when the king uh, passes on his crown. Um, Rom says, okay, that's cool. Goes off into the forest. Um, People don't really love it. The king dies crying about how bad he feels about sending off his beloved son. Um, But after that, we don't really check back into the kingdom. Everything seems like it's probably going okay. Uh, We follow Rom... um, as he goes off into the woods, which is where demons have been um, messing with holy folk and villagers who live out in the woods. Yeah, it's the woods. And they all kind of answer to a demon king uh, named Ravana, who discovers that Ram and his wife, the... Is it Sita? Um, who is the most beautiful woman in the world. And the demon king is like, I would like me some of that and kidnaps her and takes her back to his kingdom. So Rom and his uh, half-brother La- Lox- Loxma? Lakshma. Lakshma. Lakshma? Yeah. Uh, set off to try and uh, get back his wife. 
On that journey, they talk with a lot of animal folk, fight a lot of demons, and make real good friends with a kingdom of monkeys, um, where we meet Hanuman, who's been mentioned a couple times. He is a uber-powerful, shape or size-changing, flying monkey who uh, is very key in the battle, uh, and they take down the demon king, who's got ten heads and a large family of his own. Um, and after a lot of a lot of death on both sides, they save the day, kill the kill the king demon, and go back. I think it's just a happy ending, is the way that the the movie ended, right? The movie the movie ends happily, and uh, we'll definitely talk a little bit later about how the story actually ends. Mm-hmm. Benit, how do you do? He did great. Uh, I'd give you a solid uh, eight on ten. Wow, um, I, I will take that. But as uh, as someone who might be an Indian parent one day, I'll give you a six point five. <laughs> That's uh, what I was expecting. That's what I was. I was aiming. You know, a six is passing. California school districts are a bit more liberal. You get an eight. <laughs> yeah, I was only going to give you a four out of five. Jesus, Sage. I thought you liked this guy. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, it was definitely, it was, you know, for two hours, there's a lot that happens uh, in, in, in that story. That yeah. was quite the, sum, I, I summized quite a bit, I feel yeah. like. Yeah, no, no, you did, uh, you did great. Um, sorry, the bunny's eating the Oculus. <laughs> there's a sentence. Sorry, just put it up here. Um, yeah, no, you did great. Um I would say that, uh, yeah, like, you know, the movie has uh, a pretty solid third act, so to speak, but it also has a fourth act, which isn't that much fun, which I don't know why it was added, um, but I guess it's a show that, you know, basically um, towards the end, everybody returns to, you know, um, uh, Ram's kingdom, they go home, they're reunited, but... Yeah, everybody accuses Sita of a bunch of mean things, and Sita's like, you guys are really mean. And then uh, Sita is actually um, uh, one of her parents is Mother Earth, literally the planet Earth. And so she tells uh, Earth to be like, hey, I'm done with this cruel world. Uh, can you take me back? And then the Earth swallows her hold. Um, so, and then Rom no longer has a wife. But Wait, was that in the anime? Did I miss that? No. no, I think they they uh they didn't storyboard that far. They may have run out of okay. money. I don't know. Uh, they, they didn't. Fo- I mean, I, it feels like they just cut it off as at the happy ending. But to like leave off the part where um where the wife comes home and is then shunned because she either slept with a foreign king or was or was raped uh, is the implication through everything to be shunned first by the prince and then later by the people after the prince has accepted her and then has to prove her purity by hanging out in a in a fire and then the rain washes it away and then has to prove her purity again it's not it's not great it's very morally dubious to tell the story today it's also the most interesting part of the story to well i mean to be fair the way that uh one of my favorite moments in this anime was her being rescued going to everybody and going like i I'm so thankful for you all for saving me. I just can't imagine like the amount of sacrifice that everyone had to go through to save me. I will never forget what everyone went through. And then like 
one of the monkey, uh, the higher up monkeys just turns to her and goes like, nah, it's fine. It's, don't worry about it. And, and then they okay. high five. And, and then the credits roll. Yeah. <laughs> it was, um, that's quite the turnaround from what you just described. <laughs> it's, a, it's a cleaner ending, but it also is like if you were telling a story about the New Testament, it'd be like if it just ended with Jesus having a kick-ass dinner with his friends. I mean, Didn't he have a great dinner with his friends? <laughs> he he did. Uh, yeah, the, but I then mean, he just got some real weird kisses on the cheeks. Uh, do you like... want me to spoil the Bible for you, Vanitz? <laughs> no, that one also doesn't end too well. His friend needed some money. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it's interesting because uh, Ramayan, I mean, you know, you, you read Lord of the Rings, you read Game of Thrones, you read all of mm -hmm. these, you know, modern epics, and um, you can see that, you, you can see where some of the inspiration may have come from. There's a lot of, like, you know, meditations on power, there's a lot of, like, um, favors that are realized and some are not. Um, it's interesting. So, you, you know, let, let's talk, I'm not, I'm not going to do a whole summary of uh, the movie, uh, because Gavin, you, you've done a pretty good job on it. Those are the broad um, strokes, and then it's just where did the other battles happen within it? Yeah. Who yeah. builds a bridge where? Yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk about Sita just a little bit more. So when Sita was kidnapped by Ram and brought to uh, his palace in uh, Lanka, um, Hanuman was sent to, you know, kind of rescue her, right? And I, I, I believe Sita basically said that, like, I'm married to a king, a king must defeat a king if I'm to go back. Otherwise, you know, it's 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 a hollow victory and it's just a rescue. And to what end? He can just kidnap me again, right? Like, you have to defeat this guy. He's not good. So uh, I think that's... Um, uh, it's interesting that way. And then Ram was like, okay, uh, my wife wants me to do it right, so I will do it right. And then, you know, he brought the uh, Vonner army over. Uh, and by the way, so the Vonners aren't quite monkeys. They just look oh, okay. like monkeys. But I mean, you know... Um, who doesn't after a hard day's work and three days of no shower, right? But so the Vonners are considered one of those uh, ex uh, extinct species uh, that didn't quite make it, you know, in the past 10,000 years. Um, so they were like humanoid. They were intelligent. They were sentient. Um, they just weren't human, but they weren't monkeys. You know, there are actual monkeys in, uh, in that story, and these guys weren't it. Um, so it's, it's interesting. And then when Sita was finally brought back, uh, yeah, obviously everybody accused her for like a million things and, you know, she did her trial by fire and, you know, but still people are weird and they're like, Ram, you can either be king or you can be married to a woman who's, uh, gone through these things. And, you know, um, Ram tried to make the argument and while I, they were contemplating, you know, whether you're going to do, uh, do it for the welfare of the state or your wife, uh, Sita just checked out and just went home, you know, and good for her, you know, cause she just shouldn't have to deal with all this. <laughs> yeah wow she, she she sits a lot of the story out for sure <laughs> yeah well she's the genesis of the battle i mean without her rom would never have uh dealt with any of this and i mean so originally she's like the helen she is the helen she the is princess the helen. peach is what i was thinking <laughs> she's but... the princess peach uh do you guys remember when rom kept on going and like liberating castles but then sita was just in another castle i think that's part of what made this story so long <laughs> Well, they did that. So in the Ramayan, right, they go around defeating several demons and their strongholds. Um, and, you know, Ram, uh, Ravan has his uh, island kingdom of Lanka. But I mean, in the mainland, you know, he's got like family with like strongholds and whatnot. So yeah, a good amount of, um, before there was a main battle, there were skirmishes and whatnot. Um, minor stories in the Ramayan that don't quite make it into the movies. Um, 
But yeah, Rom beat up a bunch of his uncles before he got to fight him. And to help everyone track along, when he says the island nation of Lanka, it's literally Sri Lanka just off the coast of India. Mm-hmm. Um, and the kingdom is in Uttar Pradesh, right? Or is it ever, is there, is there a specific place that it is? If you go to India, are they going to have like sites that were like, this is the thing from the, from the Ramayan? Yeah, no, you just you like got you that can right. technically go to one of eight mangers where Jesus was born in Nazareth. Yes. Yeah, absolutely Did right. So, uh, I don't think the mangers still around. I think it's just the, the buildings. Okay. Yeah, this the city of uh, Ayodhya is um it's next to the city of Fezabad, which is in Uttar Pradesh, UP. Um maybe it's an hour from the city of uh, Lucknow. Um Okay. But yeah, it's towards the north. It's maybe 120 miles from like the border of Nepal. Um so yeah, it's it's kind of up in the north and you know Sita's adopted father uh, was uh, King Janak, who was from Nepal, so one can make the argument that Sita was Nepali, and Ram was, you know, part of his kingdom. So, international romance, you guys. How far, geographically, how far is this from the whole Buddha story? Isn't that that same area? No, Buddha is uh, near my hood. Uh, so, I, I grew up in, B- I was born in Bihar. Um, and Gaya, where uh, Buddha... Um, where both basically uh, got you know is from and has enlightenment and everything, I think that's maybe uh, uh seventy miles from where I was born. So yeah, they're they're so Bihar and uh, Uttar Pradesh they're bordering states. Um, but that's like saying California and Oregon are bordering states. So if you live sure. in LA, you're not going to Portland tomorrow. You know. Yeah, probably not back then too. Probably and it, it's then. also important. L- to at least realize one of these is the start of the Himalayas. E- yeah. Nepal has mountains. Well, just like <laughs> Uttar Pradesh is the foothold, right? Or the. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. Uttar Pradesh is. Um, so there's the upper Himalayas, and then the lower Himalayas are called the Shivaliks. Um, and yeah, that's at the uh, northern end of uh, Uttar Pradesh, where, like, you know, you have all these uh, little foothill towns and. Um, a little bit of skiing as well, and a lot of great apples and good fruits. That's what helps simplify this story for me a little bit, is I always think of it as a, a mountain kingdom versus an island nation. Very Age of Empires of you. Absolutely yes. correct. It's like just, just trying to, to simplify it and like think of it geographically, which is probably best to not think of it. It's probably best to think of it just as like spaceless things so you don't have to keep track of like wait how'd they get there so fast definitely how the anime treats it and my my brain did not track a lot of that geography i'll admit so it's fine (laughs) i'm still picturing like the endless like i can't sometimes the anime feels like they're in treetops and sometimes it feels like they're on an island like greenery and i i I can't uh sometimes differentiate in terms of just like i know it's probably some that's just like the amount of money they had to spend on backgrounds but I mean, it's also most of the story that matters happens in, like, jungle-ish South India, Lanka-type areas. I mean, you know, Uttar Pradesh and so on is uh, basically, um, it's where the story begins, but, uh, and where it ends, I guess. But most of the action happens, you know, where they grow, like, bananas and coconuts. The tasty part of India. The tasty part of India. (laughs) There was... uh... This is, a, this is a bit of a departure, but there was a, a temple I went to in in Sri Lanka 
I think in Kandy, that was the Temple of Buddha's Tooth. And it was uh, what it sounds like. Buddha's, Buddha's Tooth is there. I'm sure I have some of these details wrong, but I had a similar story, um, which was just that like wars had been fought over like where this tooth would get to to be held. Um, Are you comparing point is, Sri Lanka's a got a history. A <laughs> Sorry. Are you comparing a princess to a tooth? Uh, no, I'm making a parallel. You know what? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> okay, just checking. Yeah, you know, it's also interesting that, like, in um, in the Ramayan, like, you know, the, from the original point of view, um, the demons were not evil, you know, like, in the sense that, like, you know in, how in uh, Japanese mythology and folklore you have, like, demons, but they, demon just means that they're more morally ambiguous, you know, they can just swing either way depending on how much you feed them or give them money. Right. Um, and, and it's similar because... Um, like humans. Actually, like humans, you know, so Ravan was, uh, he was a king and he was very learned. He was a big devotee of, uh, I believe Lord Vishnu. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, by all rights, he was just a king. He was a conqueror. He was a just ruler. He was, a he was a guy, you know, he did his job. He did it well. Um, and you know, he sees this beautiful young woman in the jungle and he's like, I, you are in my territory. Um, I will take you. It's just that simple. I've taken a lot of you know, women and wives, I'm a king, it is something I do, um, no biggie, right? So, I mean, and obviously none of that makes sense today, that's that's not how the world works, of course, but back right. then it was, um, if you're a king, you could do things like that, and he did, and he just messed with, like, the wrong woman, um, and in, in, all, in all fairness, I mean, he balanced it, he's like, well, one of two things will happen, he, you know, either your husband is really like uh, an avatar of Vishnu and he's really a god and he will challenge me. It's going to be epic. Uh, or, you know, he's just some guy who talks a lot and um, you get to stay with me, right? So either or. And, you know, when Sita was a, a prisoner of Ravan, that theme kind of like stuck in where like, you know, if Rami really is a worthy king, a worthy husband, a worthy ruler, he will challenge Ravan and defeat him and take Sita back. Uh, otherwise, you know, what's the point, right? Otherwise, you know, you're just, uh, it's a rescue from, uh, an, an abductment and, you know, somebody can be abducted again. So it, it's interesting how these, uh, power plays, uh, play out. Um, and I also want to add that, like, originally, Robin had no idea that, you know, Ram, Sita, and Lakshman were just, like, chilling in the forest and, like, you know, eating grapes and stuff. Um, originally, I believe, uh, Robin's, uh, sister, um, uh, was just, you know, right. hanging out and she saw, uh, she saw Lakshman. She saw Ram and was like, oh, my God, you are gorgeous. Uh, you are going to be my husband. And Ram's like, I'm sorry. I've got a boo. But, you know, thank you. And obviously being a princess, being royalty, she was like, how dare you say no to me? You live in a hut. You know, <laughs> I'm bringing you back to my palace, which is literally an entire island. You know, you sleep three feet away from like cows. Like, no, you're coming with me. And um, Ram was like, no. And then she was like, what, why? For this, you know, for this little trick? And like got mad at Sita and wanted to kill her. And then Lakshman threw a blade and chopped her nose off. Um, and then, you know, uh, she ended up running back to Ravan and being like, you know, brother, avenge me. And Ravan was like, okay, all that is sad. I get it. Tell me about this girl. And then uh, Ravan was like, okay, Sita's, you know, Sita. You're saying she's the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, she's got to be mine. She's literally um, Helen. And 
by doing that, I'll avenge you, right? Kind of. And I think, you know, Robin's sister was like, sure, you know, as long as they feel pain. Um, and it's funny that like, uh, in, uh, in India, there's a, there's an idiom, uh, that says, you know, uh, I'll cut your nose off. Uh, it sounds more dramatic in Hindi. In Hindi, I think it's, uh, which is the past tense. And, uh, basically means that, um, you know, uh, when you, uh, when you are in shame or when you feel ashamed about something, uh, it's almost as if like, you know, somebody's cut your nose off. Um, mm. so it comes from the Ramayan and most people don't realize, you know, that it's something we say like every day, like, oh, that politician, you know, he did something stupid and, you know, he got his nose cut off. Ha ha ha. But it comes from a story written 10,000 years ago. Yeah, I mean, I, I was wondering too. You mentioned earlier trial by fire, and I'm always like, yeah, I'm not sure how far that goes back because I was associated with the witch trials. But oh no, I mean, it's it's definitely <laughs> older than that. Um, trial by fire, probably some pagan ritual, maybe. Probably. Well, it's like when you, when you start going this far back in in written or even oral history, like you don't know when things start being created or if they're drawing or from other to the things. Story too. Yeah. And, like, the world back then was a lot more interconnected than we give it credit for. So mm -hmm. certainly, like, there's a lot of myths that start coming up parallel to each other. And a lot of stories from different parts of the world that share a lot of, lot of similarities. Well, and, you, and like, Vanit, you also mentioned the, uh, the rewriting by that king at one point. And I'm sure, like, when it was just an oral history, too, for a while there, there were changes being made. Um, and th yeah, this I feel is like, like I another interpretation of it. Draft three hundred seventy-eight <laughs> of the Ramayan. Yeah, so it's funny because uh, Valmiki's Ramayan is uh, it's originally in Sanskrit. It's a little bit more dense. Um, mm -hmm. It's um, it's not for kids. You know, it's not something you can read every day, right? So there, you know, I think around the. 13th century maybe um 15th century uh there was a poet named uh Tulsidas and he basically uh wrote a version of the Ramayan called the Ram Chitramanas um and basically it was like hey it's like the Ramayan but you know you all y'all can read and have a good time and uh, I think that was the that's the biggest uh variant of the Ramayan that's uh been out there uh, but besides that, I think there's over 30 regional and international uh, adaptations um, that um, uh, that talk about the Ramayan uh, as like the central part of the uh, of, of its story. Um, and the Thai king, I mean, so it, it, it's interesting because like Burma, Thailand, you know, Vietnam, all those countries, um, they basically adapted it to like, you know, whatever local... Um, sentiment uh they wanted to uh mm -hmm. these two um but i think the original ramayan is still like the most charming most interesting um uh, i still think it's the best version like i don't think it's been improved upon right i didn't mean to suggest improved upon. no no just no like, yeah of course because it would I, never I, denigrate the story <laughs> i well i saw the um like it was interesting just looking at like the little bit that i did on this the animated uh, adaptation that we watched and the the Japanese director um, was going and consuming as many like versions of it as he could to try and, cause he just loved the story and couldn't seem to get enough of it. And as I know that he also 
there was like a misquotation of him saying he wanted to make his own. And that sounded like a, a new adaptation. And that like read, led to this being uh blocked from showing in theaters in India at first. And, okay. uh, but like as the co-production was happening, that's when like, again, you have a lot of writers, like you're talking about coming, like it is an Indian and Japanese co-production. Um, but it was still like going and getting as many different uh, places of input as they could to try and like get to that source text, like you were saying, and bring about like the most interesting version they could while still ignoring the ending. True, and well, yeah, <laughs> it just it sounds like a very delicate balance that like I I am curious to hear kind of how they pulled off in certain aspects. Not as this is my only entryway to this so far. Yeah, I mean, um, I didn't know that uh, the comment by the Japanese director, um, you know, was uh, so controversial. Um, I think it was just motivated to like, you know, I'm sure something was lost in translation. Um, but, and, and again, I wasn't around for its theatrical release. Um, but yeah, I, I, in fact, Sean and I, we had the good fortune of meeting the Indian co-director of the Ramayan. Oh, cool. He's a fascinating fellow, you know, they, they call him the father of Indian animation. And he got to start, oh, cool. um, basically, um, I think he got to start, like, animating, like, you know, political stuff or, or something. I mean, he worked for the government uh, back when the government had a cartoon unit back in, like, the 50s. Um, so, like, yeah, so you, you got to remember that back in the day, it was uh, for a lot of things that was cheaper to animate than to like record, right? Because film is expensive, but a dude drawing on paper and just like rotoing it might be a little cheaper, right? Um, so, I mean, and, and like the Japanese, uh, they use a lot of animation uh, for like government propaganda. Um, you know, so, I mean, there was a culture of like governments using animation for a lot of things. Um hmm. And uh, that's where he got his start. But when we met him at his uh, uh, at his lovely apartment in in Bombay, uh, I remember it took us an hour and a half uh, to get there from where we were. Um, and Sean and I were like, "Is he going to be awake? Is he going to be napping?" Because we were told that like if we miss the window, it's going to be his nap time. And when we met him, we realized why he was ninety years old. Right. And I was like, "Oh, okay." Um, and we talked to him. We had a great time. Uh, I I wish I had a photo of that day. Uh, but it was this fun moment, you know, meeting somebody who had, like, inspired you so much. I mean, I'm sure yeah. it's like how, you know, if, uh, uh, if like, an up-and-coming director now met, like, uh, I don't know, Ridley Scott or something, how would they feel? Something along those lines, right? So it was just, like, a really surreal moment. Um, so maybe I was fanboying a little bit and Sean was asking more important questions or the other way around. Who remembers? <laughs> Um, but one thing he said, which was, uh, which is very interesting was that, um, people like on a very sort of like high level, people like the idea of India. There's been a lot of interesting things. There's been a lot of interesting stories. Um, and as a people, we should be receptive of it and, uh, encourage people to like, you know, um, experience India and its culture and its stories for their own and, you know, see what meaning they can draw from it. As opposed to like being more like didactic and being like, no, this is the story. This is the religion. You must follow it. Like that doesn't do anything for anyone. Um, and you know, that kind of stuck with me as in like the stories you write, the stories you make. Um, you, you, maybe you write it for yourself in the beginning, but by the time you're done, uh, it's art for everyone and they will draw the meaning from it that, you know, whatever is important to them. Um, and that's totally fine. Um, 
and I've always like aspired to like anything I make, I, I start from there, which is I'm doing it for myself. I want to do it because I enjoy it. But once I'm done, it's for your enjoyment. You know, I enjoyed making it. You please enjoy consuming it. So, I mean, that's definitely a statement I agree with, but this is we're talking about religion at the end of the day. It's but it's religion is so so okay, so I mean, just the way you have, you know, you have Catholicism and then you have like Greek orthodoxy, Russian orthodoxy, 50 flavors of Christianity, like there's all these interpretations that come out of it, and everybody has a different view of, you know, who and what Jesus is. Um Similarly, like Hinduism is also, um, it is a confederacy, like everybody kind of does their own thing. Um, and they all have like generally the same idea that like, yes, this is what all these gods do. This is what all the, what everybody does. Um, but it's not something that, um, it's not something that, you know, has to be, um, super strict, you know, like obviously like every religion, every sect has like parts of it that are a little too hardcore. And some of them are just fluid and happy. And that's the fun thing about, like, you know, for me, Hinduism has been that way. Because in my family, uh, we everybody follows, like, a different type of Hinduism. It's very interesting. My dad follows, uh, he's like a Hare Krishna. He follows Iskon. Uh, my mom uh, prays to Goddess Durga. I'm a big fan of Hanuman. And it's like, you know, we just all do our own thing. Um, and it's interesting because most families that are religious, um, you know, be, be it anywhere in the world, they, they they're all, like... This is the church our whole family goes to. This is a temple our whole family goes to. And I don't have to worry about that. I can just do my own thing. Um, and I feel like, you know, within Hinduism, the culture is stronger than the religion, if that makes any sense, you know? Um, sure. I mean, think about it. You spend more time eating Indian food than worshipping Indian things. So obviously the culture is going to... worshipping Indian food. <laughs> yeah so i think it's just one of those uh things so i mean like this version of the remind that uh ended up being a movie of course like you know older people see it they're like this didn't happen that didn't happen where is right. this part where's that part and i'm like yo nobody cares you know like it's a good movie enjoy it have a good time learn something carry on well and you brought up lord of the rings multiple times and you know some people are going to miss that little uh bumbling scene guy tom bombadil who's the most powerful being in the universe, apparently. And, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't miss it. Uh, Deep cut. All right. Well, it's just, I, and that's what I'm trying, what I, what Real I want to Real fans of adaptation, sure. Like, <laughs> I, I, I want, certainly I see was, this with yeah, a, I wanted a lot to, of things. I wanted to trace that back to what you were just saying. And, um, cause you've mentioned Hanuman, who is one of the most charismatic characters in this version, at least. Like he, we spend a lot of time with him. Hanuman's and... fucking awesome. I'm just going <laughs> to say it. And so you, you'd mentioned earlier that you, you called him your patron God. Um, God. Mm -hmm. ha, was that something that you came to or was that something because you said it is a little different than the rest of your family in certain aspects? Yeah, I mean, my whole family likes Hanuman, but uh, I think, you know, just gravitate How could towards you one over the other. Uh, yeah. Um, so the story goes is that uh, my father's mother, my grandmother, when she was driving back from uh, her place to... Um, Sorry, from when she was driving back from her mom's place to her place, um, there was a uh, a Hanuman temple with a lot of uh, monkeys, and she just went there to pray and be, you know, ask the gods for like a, a healthy grandson, and that ended up being me. Um, so I was like, oh, cool story, that's interesting. But I think you know more than that, it's like just the character that Hanuman is. Mm -hmm. Hanuman's uh, a little bit of the strong, silent type. He's very devoted, very loyal, and he doesn't have a temper. 
which is interesting. Like, how does somebody go into battle without a temper, right? It's a, it's a, it's a very measured warrior's approach. Um, and he's somebody who can see the flaws in his leaders while still support them because he believes in the bigger picture. Um, and he just has a lot of qualities that I'm like, yeah, that's what, uh, that's what a person needs to be in this world. Um, and I just ended up like gravitating towards like the idea of him and, you know, what he can do. And, uh, so in the, in the Ramayan universe, right, he's like extremely powerful. He's extremely strong. Um, but in one task, he had to find an herb that only grew on a certain mountain, uh, because, uh, Lakshman was injured in battle and that herb could, uh, could save him. Um, so he goes to that mountain and he can't find it. You know, Hanuman, being as big and powerful, as strong as he is, he literally cannot find one herb. So he brought the whole mountain back so that the whole army can help, you know, crawl the mountain and like find this one herb that can save Lakshman's life. And, you know, the uh, the bastardization of that story is that like, oh, like, are you like Hanuman? You're just bringing back more than you should. Uh, it's like a mm-hmm. common uh, it's a common phrase in India. It's like, you know, are you Hanuman? You just brought back. As you for like one chocolate chip cookie, you brought back a bakery, like that sort of stuff. Um, but but yeah. the actual lesson to be learned from that is, you know, that no matter how big and strong you are, sometimes you need help. And sometimes you need help from people much less powerful than you, like quote unquote little people. And there's no shame in that because you're all working as a team to solve something, you know, be it save somebody's life or something else. Uh, so stories like that have really stuck with me and learnings like that. And um, yeah, just a big fan of Hanuman, you know, all day, every day. Something I've been I've been bumbling over that I've gotten trouble for in the past. I've I've got a kind of important question about Hinduism. I've never gotten a clear answer on because um, I've always described it as the last remaining like polytheistic religion that millions, hundreds of millions, maybe a billion people subscribe to. Um, but I've been corrected in the past with people describing it as actually monotheistic, and then people kind of choose which aspect of it to like enhance their hindu experience if you will um do you do you have any idea what i'm talking about can you finish my sentence for me a little (laughs) bit i've heard this before that like you know um at the top you have brahma vishnu mahesh you know the the creator the progenitor and the destroyer sort of thing and everything kind of flows from there and that's fine but you know again like uh going back uh to uh the hellenistic uh setup of religion is um yeah, of course, you know, you have Zeus and uh, like five, six main people. And then for every specific thing, every specific problem, um, there's like a different god for it. So some somebody can pray to, right? So it's a, it's a highly granular uh, religious experience where like, you know, if there's something that you want to talk about, we got a god for that. Um, and it's not monotheist, you know, it's a, it's a fluid, you know, uh, organization which not even an organization it's it's a collection of organizations that share a lot of similar values uh that's highly regional highly localized uh and over time everybody's kind of come up with their own traditions and you know subcultures within the culture and that's fine that's totally fine um anybody who says it's monotheist is um maybe there's like some insecurity speaking because uh obviously like christianity Islam, you know, these are bigger religions that are, you know, uh, arguably much more monotheist or, you know, uh, they're not polytheist for sure, right? Um, But I think it's totally fine to have a, you know, um, a polytheist religion where, you know, you just pick what works for you. I I meant more like to the, for, okay. So the idea that like, um, was it Brahma, Shiva, Vishnu are like all aspects of the same 
kind of I'm sure I'm sure I've got some of the wrong information, but I com I compare it to like you know what I was taught in Sunday school with like God, Jesus, and whatever the fuck the Holy Spirit is being like a part of the same thing. And people from other cultures have read what I what I grew up with as there are three gods. Four sometimes, like some aspects of Christianity are really big on Mary, and we'll we'll throw her in for the whole thing. So I've met people traveling who think Christianity has four gods. I mean, I guess you can kind of end up believing whatever you want to believe. I mean, such is the nature of faith, right? So you have no clear-cut answer. We're not solving this mystery today. <laughs> That's not being solved today. Not by okay. my mind. I promised people. Oh, well. <laughs> Gavin, do you have thoughts about the actual animation in the animation we watched? Um, I mean, so this is pretty early on. It's 92, and, like, there's parts of it that are very fluid. There's parts of it that are less fluid and it's interesting that like the version I was watching um, was on YouTube. It was 720p and looked pretty dated. And I, I was kind of surprised cause like um, when you, when you search on the internet, it's not hard to find this version. And like you alluded to, like there wasn't a lost dub, but like there's an English version like an English dub with Brian Cranston, maybe before he was really famous for, you know, the roles that he's famous for now, but like also James Earl Jones, like it had this, this, they put a lot of money into this thing. Like, and, uh, for the date that it was made, like a lot of the animation is very fluid. Like a lot of it looks great. The character designs are super fun. I don't know. I would argue James Earl Jones as the narrator is the only sort of like draw, I mean, I didn't recognize anybody else on the list, and I'm going to put out that the fact that Brian Cranston is in this in 1992 is just a coincidence. Malcolm in the Middle hadn't even come out yet. <laughs> Brian Cranston, I don't even think, had been in like those X-Files episodes. Like, I could be wrong. I could be overlooking something. Well, uh, this, was clear this was clearly what got him Malcolm in the Middle, and yes. I think it's important to recognize that. Get me Rom. <laughs> <laughs> No, but like, you know, it it's 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 clearly like again, you had two nations uh, you know, pe people decided this was an important story to make not only in India, but like, you know, in Japan and they took a whole animation studio and built this with like kind of dramatic again like a um sounds like the Indian studio kind of had some wavering ability to work on it at times and and um or not maybe not wavering support from the government it, it sounded it sounded interestingly uh dramatic on the on the back end of it but like what they wound up with was like again i i think pretty pretty solid animation it's not night yeah. the 90s was a time when animation seemed like it changed a lot especially in japan and you can really see where money takes you further in the next like five years but this movie looks pretty solid. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. It's uh I would dare say it's this is like the golden uh age of like Japanese animation. Um like Akira came out in nineteen eighty eight, uh Pat Labor came out in like eighty nine, you know, uh I think the original Ghost in the Shell came out in ninety four, ninety five. So that's sort of like, you know, eighty five to ninety five was a time in Japan when like a lot of like anime that we still watch today came out. Yeah. Um so I think there's just like this collective talent that was very motivated. There was a lot of like positive feedback to everything that came out. 
Uh, they, there was no filler anime. I don't know if you know what that is, but like, there's this, you know, anime that's made with like just four or five screens moving and people just talking, and it just, you know, fills in the airtime so that like uh, networks um, uh, can uh, oblige their contracts. That like, yes, you know, you wanted ten shows, we gave you ten shows. So you know, before all that nonsense came in, they just made really great anime. Um, and I think you know, uh, it was that moment in time that we got lucky enough. Where somebody was like, you know, let's explore some foreign themes that aren't Japanese, uh, and ended up with um, with uh, Ramayan um, in a similar way, uh, in, in in a similar fashion, like you know, uh, Neon Genesis uh, Evangelion. Um, uh, it also uh, decided it's it's going to explore like themes of Christianity as opposed to like you know Japanese Shinto Buddhism. Um, and yeah, every now and then in Japan, they just explore a foreign concept and they have a fun time doing it. Um, yeah, you know, thank God for Japanese people wanting to try things that aren't Japanese. Well, well that actually you bring up specifically too, like that fluid style of animation going back to like this almost feels closer to Akira compared to like Cowboy Bebop or Ghost in the Shell mm -hmm. because it there is much more... I don't know if fluidity is the right word, but like the character, the character um, models do change a little bit more. And it's more about the movement in certain respects than like when you get to, you know, slightly later uh, anime, they are taking those times to like the backgrounds are maybe a little cheaper. Maybe some of the characters in the background aren't moving as much. Where in this, like there's, there's a lot of, you know, everything is moving some of the details maybe get smaller the further they are in the background but mm -hmm. like everything is very carefully like an anime with personality and i had just gone and watched like ralph bakshi's stuff which we talked mm -hmm. about lord of the rings mm -hmm. and his animation he's working on a much smaller budget and uh you feel the and the, the way that the characters move in ralph bakshi pieces you can tell when he doesn't care about something as much <laughs> because the, 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 the way that they're moving is just rotoscoped. They doesn't have like that fluidity that animation can. And uh, I'd argue like often is more interesting when it does have that. This is really full of a lot of personality in the way the characters move. Yeah. And in, in all fairness, uh, Ralph Bakshi, um, Ralph, if you're hearing this, I love you. Dude, but, um, <laughs> I respect the yes. shit out of him. That was, that was like, I think that's a slight that he'd agree with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, um, he's, he's, he might not be the easiest, how do I put it, I don't know, guy to work with or the guy who raises money, like, all of his, uh, projects that he's done, uh, except for, uh, the TV shows he's done, like, all of the movies he's helmed, um, he's kind of, he's been budget constrained, you know, and, like, yeah, absolutely, uh, Japanese, Japanese animator cost versus US animator cost, like, I don't know what the difference was back then, but I'm, pretty sure that like just like you know um uh i'm pretty sure that it was cheaper to make uh animation in japan which is why like we ended yep. up with so many japanese cartoons uh in the u.s growing up um and at some point you know american studios were like enough we need to make something of our own so they made tailspin they made yep. uh you know darkwing duck like you know so a lot of u.s animation started um uh taking on like more serious themes in a kid context um we even had uh exo squad uh which is one of my favorite animations from back then uh incredibly serious adult themes but you know it looks like a half you know um a mattel toy coming to life which i think is what it was um 
But yeah, like I, I think I let's cut Ralph Bakshi some slack. I think he just ran <laughs> out of money in a lot of scenes, and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah. optimized. But the Japanese are a little different, right? Like, uh, like you know, the, so I actually, tr- I actually looked into making, um, <laughs> I actually looked into making anime. I'm like, how much would it cost to make an actual anime if I wanted to do it, right? And the the quotes I got from like you know various different studios was like, you can go as low as like 50k an episode. Uh, and you'll get something like if you want to do like a noir drama that has like a limited color palette and like it's four mm-hmm. characters walking around, you know, in like a bar or an office. Like, yeah, you know, if you want to just create that sort of drama, you can get away with like 50K an episode for like, you know, uh, maybe a little north of half a million dollars. You'll have a season of TV, right? That's incredible. Um, but like some of the more uh, nicer ones, like they start touching uh like early six like mid six figures like three four hundred five hundred k an episode i think afro samurai cost about a little less than a million dollars an episode or something like it was very expensive and you can see it right like there's so much you know particle effects they're using nuke they're using um uh, a lot of these rendering software like it's it's there's a lot of technical competence i guess that has to go in. some of the technology and the skills to use it at the time afro samurai came out might be a much more commonplace now it's still but expensive, that's still though. a very surprising number to me. Yep, it's still expensive, and like you know, um, with Lord of the Rings, they pioneered a lot of technology, so they got away with it on the cheap. But now they license it, right? One of those technologies is called Massive. Massive is uh, so you know, do you remember in Lord of the Rings? You have like these these big battle scenes in the beginning, mm-hmm. and also like throughout. Um, so that you was remember made... Lord of the Rings and the battles. <laughs> Yeah, the one in the beginning where they're talking about the rings and everything. So uh, right, th- yeah. that that was you created uh, with a program called Massive, which was developed in-house uh, by uh, somebody Peter Jackson worked with uh, on Fright Night, I think was the movie he worked on last. Um, it was like some ghost movie. So, you know, uh, we, we, we see Peter Jackson and he looks like, you know, uh, he looks like... He looks like Santa Claus, you know, without the gifts, right? So, um, <laughs> yeah. but he's actually very tech savvy and he's able to blend like, you know, uh, this beautiful traditional artistry with like, you know, hardcore like tech. I mean, Weta Studios has sold for like, what, one and a half billion dollars recently? Oh, did it um, sell? Yeah, it's sold. Huh. Um, so it's just, um, and it's, it's like massive as a technology. It should have become cheaper. But they've just added so many more features to it, and it, they've made it a lot more interesting. Um, it's still, you know, cost uh, accessible, but it's one of the reasons why, like, the movies we make now, they're so expensive. Like, we have movies that cost a quarter billion dollars. It's because there's so much rendering, so much processing time, so much costing that's going into uh, uh, doing all these things. And to be honest, like, even uh, that problem uh, has affected animation as well. Like, the industry has become bigger consumer demand has increased i mean do you guys remember that graph of like michael bay movies of like explosions versus box office numbers you know it's like it's a pretty like positive correlation like you look at a michael bay movie like the island uh with Mm -hmm. mcgregor and they're just running around things aren't blowing up and then you look at all the transformers movies and like you know uh everything in between and it's it's a it's a pretty hilarious graph so, like, there's consumer demands that, like, we want more explosions and we want to look more realistic. And uh, the technology has to keep up and costs go up, right? I mean, there's, uh, got, there's got to be an argument to be made for, like, the IP draw of Transformers in that. Right, right. Okay, well, then, uh, there, there's, a, there's a whole graph to this. Uh, uh, listeners to this podcast, this Google <laughs> Michael Bay explosion box office graph, you'll know what I mean. Um, 
And yeah, it's just, it's one of those things that makes you think that like, you know, consumer demand drives these things, which is why like the best directors or the best upcoming directors, they almost never get their start with like a science fiction property. They do like a drama, you know, they do like a romance movie. They do like some, you know, uh, time travel movie that's low budget. And next thing you know, uh, like Brick, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, that's just a noir sort of movie. Uh, and then the guy does Star Wars, right? So, you know, it's just, um, being able to like craft the story, I think, you know, is more important than the supporting visuals. But it does make you think that like, uh, how cost prohibitive these things can be now. Like the Remind we're talking about, it was made for like 13 million. Inflation right. adjusted, uh, even if that number tripled, that's a $40 million movie, uh, animated movie, which, um, Honestly, I think uh, Nickelodeon drops something like that, you know, like every two weeks or something. The last question I have uh, before we should really get into our judgments and maybe play some games. Um, the very first thing that happens in the version I watched is, is a little title card comes up that says, A program commemorating the 40th anniversary of India-Japan diplomatic relations. What does that mean does that have any actual historical significance this is obviously not a part of the world or the 50s in asia and south asia i don't know much about um <clears throat> i can give some very light context i mean there's probably the, the the most common theory is that like uh this is at a time when uh india was just trying to like i think the economy had just opened up or, or was about to so India was a planned economy for the longest time, like just the way China was. Um, and then it opened up to like, you know, foreign investment and all that. Um, so I think it was just like the government giving its blessing that like, hey, you know, we acknowledge that the foreign company was involved and we like you guys, right? Uh, which was uh, a difficult thing for the Indian government to do, uh, especially to a country that was uh, aligned with uh, uh, with the West, right? Because for the longest time, you know, India was really buddy buddies with Russia, um, and that happened because Pakistan sided with the U.S. And this is like, you know, Cold War stuff and whatnot. Um, I think the Cold War was over in 92. When did the Berlin Wall fell? I don't know. But India was trying to open up and be friends with everyone. Um, so that could be one reason. I think another reason was that, um, like generally, you know, you want the board's approval. You want the censor's approval. You just want everybody right. to be happy when you're doing like a project of this scale. Like $13 million is huge money. Uh, like that's $26 million today. And let me, let me put this in context for you. Uh, India's most expensive movies today, um, I don't think they cross 30 million in their production budget, even today, right? So, you know, 13 million back then, inflation adjusted, that's 26 million. India's biggest movies are don't cross 30 million. Like the Bahubali movies, both of them were made for, I think, a total 40 million. And same goes for all these big Shah Rukh Khan numbers, right? So, and the reason for that is like... Some of that looks very good. And they're all like, that's six hours of movie you just said. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the director of Bahubali, you know, he's like, of course he wants to make something like Lord of Rings, but like, you know, it's uh, it's cash prohibitive um, to yeah. make something beyond a point because of recovery. And the reason for that is that, like, I think the United States has about 4,500 uh, movie screens. Uh, India only has about 1,700. Uh, China has 12,000. You wow. know, so it, it really uh, paints the scale of, like, your financial recovery and how you end up budgeting movies, right? Um, but you know, uh, the Japanese just went all in like a, like a $26 million animated movie is, was big money back then. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I think Akira's budget was around that, uh, was similar. Um, Akira's budget was, no, it was less. I think it was, uh, wow. $6 million. Um, 
So yeah, the Remind literally had like double the budget of Akira, the Go figure. You know, it, it was uh, it was not a light undertaking for the time. Oh, my question was more about like the the other end of that timeline. Um, although it might have like in the in the fifties when India and Japan start having diplomatic relationships, or is that just as simple as like ah, it's been enough time since since the war? Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, there was a fascination with Japan. So like just the way in America, the fascination with Japan developed. Um, similarly, they had some in India. Uh, I, I feel, I believe there's a really famous Bollywood song called Love in Tokyo. Google that, uh, listeners to this podcast. Uh, I love, love how much Tokyo. homework we're giving our listeners. <laughs> well, maybe, maybe we'll drop it at the end if it, if it, uh, wins out against the music <laughs> from the actual movie or into um, deep <laughs> or into deep. This is my musical range, uh, 60s Bollywood referencing Japan or like punk. Um, so no, I mean, it, it, there was a fascination and everything. So I think, you know, and there was like a lot of Japanese products entering India. Um, there were, you know, I remember, uh, my dad telling me that there were like Sony, Panasonic, uh, there were Matsushita products, Matsushita being the parent company of Panasonic and national brands. Uh, then they decided they didn't want to be a brand. You just wanted to make stuff, so it was a it was an interesting time. Uh, before Chinese products entered the entered India, uh, it was Japanese products, and you know uh, they tried really hard not to have American products come in because you know America capitalism scary. Um, so you know it was uh it was it was the early days of India's democracy reconciling with its economic potential. So it was probably exciting to have Japan around. All right. I think it's probably about that time where we uh we pass our judgments. Now Gavin, on a show called Is This Still Good, do we have any sort of tiered rating system? Well, rumor tells that there's a three-prong system where a property is still good, um better as a memory, or we cut off all 10 of its heads repeatedly because then it grows back and then i don't actually remember how they're able to king kill uh king uh ravan uh ravan 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 like like a rav4 but not ravan like 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 my car yep wait how do they how do they kill king rava do they crash the king off the bridge um i think um i think rom had like a special arrow and he used it um like you know ravan was like blessed by the gods right so like right. a lot of mortal um uh instruments could not kill him you know so but ram had like that's right because he know, was part he was he was a demigod yeah, when vishnu yeah split himself up into like all of the sons and then he was they were given uh weapons of the gods which they inherently knew how to use yeah all right it's all coming back <laughs> so yeah, do we uh we we kill him with uh with god weapons? That's much more appropriate than the one I had. Kindness? <laughs> we... No, do we put it through a series of uh purity tests to make certain that no one has fucked it? Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's dark. Okay. They, they they cut the real dark part of this tale. Like the the myth itself makes a a pretty big deal that like Sita was not raped. It's just it's such a weird thing to focus on. <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, you know, Ravan was all like, Sita, you need to accept me as your king. I'm a king. I have this island. I have everything. You know, leave that guy, right? He's got a really cool island. Yeah, I think he just wanted Sita to accept him as like, you know, I mean, he could force himself on 
anyone and do anything and all that. But I mean, he was not somebody who did that, right? He was somebody who was like, look, I'm rich, I'm powerful, I'm charismatic, I'm literally, you know, blessed by gods. Why wouldn't women want me? And like, yeah, women did throw himself at him. You know, he had a lot of concerts and concubines and so on. Um, but then Sita's affection, you know, was something that was a challenge. It had to be earned. You know, she had to like uh, uh, denounce her existing husband as not good enough. And, you know, there were all these uh, power plays that went in. And, you know, finally Sita was like, maybe you are the man you claim to be. But if my husband is, you know, more of a man than you, he's going to fight you and kill you. So it's uh, it's pretty crazy how like, you know, uh, de desire, greed, jealousy plays out in these things. So, like, is it still good or? <laughs> I, it's pretty good. I think it's pretty good. I, I'd watch it again. Gavin? This is this is a really tough one. Like I I had a very good time watching this movie. It it'd be hard for me to recommend cuz I'm not sure without extra research like how to consume something like this specifically. Like does it work as casually? Like I feel like it kind of does. Um it's a little lengthy for a casual watch though in certain respects too. I'm I'm gonna give it like a um I'm gonna give it like a still good just because like if you do the little bit of research it's it's a very interesting and like I think it does stand on its own legs. Um and then it, it really does open the door for like a general understanding as like a quick overview that you can kind of fill in gaps with conversations that we've been having. Um, but it, it is like, it would be a hard one for me to just recommend offhand. I feel like if that makes sense, but so, but that still ends as a still good. I think so. It's, okay. I mean, that's the, that's the thing too, is like, you know, we've talked about like the better is a memory is hard to use when you haven't seen the thing before or didn't grow up with the story. It's a, it's a placeholder. Like, I think that's, I no, mean, I, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll pick up on 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 your thread. This movie reminded me of of cartoons I was shown in Sunday school that were just like retellings of things I already knew, and I was I was just supposed to be excited that that they existed and I got to see it. It wasn't necessarily like taking the most interesting part of it. It wasn't. It it felt like for the first half of this movie just felt like content. It just felt like mm -hmm. be excited for the thing you already know. It's a cartoon. It's there. Um, it's not until the last part of it where they start being like fucking like planes and bombings and all sorts of shit. Be made me wish like it was just like a future version of this with mechs and shit, but that's another story. Um, Vinit, you touched very early um, that Rom is uh, a hero with flaws. I don't really think we see that in this story. Like every other version that I know, and especially the part that is omitted, like yes, it is a complicated character, um, more so than than a lot of comparable myths. I don't think that's what we see in this version. He, I, he is very perfect in this, yeah, yeah, and it's boring. And I got so bored for about mm -hmm. the first hour of this, and about the time my attention phased back in, they are building a bridge to Sri Lanka, which we never talked about, but like there was a land bridge between India and Sri Lanka and it actually got wiped out not too recently by a typhoon. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but my gut says like 
1300 or something like within the last millennium a typhoon just wiped out you could walk from india to sri lanka it's called adam's bridge i think that's so cool yep Um, yep and feed like geographical features like this always have myths to explain them in every part of the world um that was one of my favorite parts until like the the plane stuff and the army of monkeys and just monkeys doing karate like shit like that's cool but all the setup to it is just like here's a telling of things happen to the point that they even have a narrator telling you things that happen and then the characters they don't do things so much as they have already died i don't know it's it's hard to explain but i didn't like it i'm not gonna give it i'm not gonna give it the bad rating because there is value in it and i expected to like it even less than this to be honest um, so I guess it's better as a memory. I hope I wasn't too mean to your that's, movie. That's fair. Yet. I'm, I'm straddling, I'm straddling that. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a nostalgic component to this that, uh, you know, gives it a couple more points than, um, a movie that old should be. Um, also keep in mind, you're dealing with a religious subject matter, uh, being made by a foreign country. So, right. you know, you, you really got to like, you know, walk on eggshells here and just make sure nobody gets too upset. Um, I mean, there right. Were, it's a, it's an uphill battle. <laughs> like, there was uh, I I remember uh, a uh, there there was this moment where like um, Robin's sister was uh, trying to seduce um, uh, Ram, and uh, <laughs> I, like my grandmother was sitting there and she was like, "This is nonsense. I don't like this." You know, like even that made her feel uncomfortable. And I was like, "What? This is what they do at the club every day." I was ten, so I didn't really say that. Um, <laughs> But it's just, you know, you got to really, really be careful about these things. I mean, India, like, they they release movies and, you know, people burn down theaters because they're upset about something, right? Very touchy when it comes to these things. Um, so, yeah, I'm just, you know, happy that nobody died after the movie was released. That is a good goal. <laughs> that uh, is a win. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, Vineet, we had very briefly a podcast um, called Everything's a Movie, by which I mean we recorded two or three episodes and never never released it. And the idea behind that was just taking taking different ideas and different stories and developing movies out of this. And we have a similar uh, section on this podcast, except it's super exploitative, where we buy up IPs and we remake them because there's money on the table. And we have a fiduciary responsibility to all of our listeners to, to pump out more more content. Uh, in a section called we still don't have a name for it so it's just it's the reboot thing here's the bumper we're reviving a canceled undercover police program from the 80s oh it's not a remake it's a reboot you see the guys in charge of this stuff lack creativity what the fuck is a reboot so all they do now is recycle shit from the past we're working on less of a shriekle and, and more of a screamake expect us all not to notice i like it another <laughs> all right so you worked a little bit to develop uh ramayan shorts um what was the idea i mean we have someone who's actually pitched a sequel reboot reimagining of the property we're doing so yeah uh, i really want to hear about that and how that process went and what the kind of pitch was to tell a modern ramayan oh yeah oh this is fun um so sean and, and I, then we'll we... say our dumb ideas we, we, yeah, Sean and I, uh, we left our happy, joyful, productive, employed lives in the U.S. and we went to India to try to make a live-action movie of the Ramayan. 
Uh, and the pitch to, uh, for that was, um, you know, we showed people clips of Lord of the Rings and we like, look at that, but imagine this guy instead of this and this guy instead of that. And instead of elves, you have this. Instead of like orcs, you have demons. Um, and everything's Indian. And they were like, yes, this is great. Um, that was basically the pitch. Um, but it, it was a hard pitch in the beginning. The thing is that like India has an oversaturation with Ramayan as a concept. It's just everywhere. Mm. There's holidays, there's stuff. There's a bajillion temples and um, people are, I would say... The holidays where you're not allowed to eat during daytime for a month, right? That's Ramadan. I think that's most of them. I stayed at a Ramadan once. This has been Bits with Sage. Continue. <laughs> um, yeah, it was just um, uh, ultimately uh, we ran into three challenges with Ramayana in India. First was that... Um, India has, as I said, India has a budget cap. You know, you cannot make the movie that you want to make in India because there's 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 liquidity issues on how much somebody would invest in a property like this, right? Like 13 Reasons Why I had a $150 million uh, uh, budget. It's shot in a high school. You know, so... Uh, and, and shot India's, in my high school, actually. Oh, wow. Amazing. Just just um, quick aside. We do not need to go into it. I don't know anything later about on the show. in a warehouse in, in <laughs> Mare Island. But you were saying... Vallejo. Sorry, Pardon we have a lot of friends that worked on it. Go on. <laughs> oh, no, very cool. Yeah, the same, same. Um, but it's just that, like, you know, if you want to create a, a production like this, you're better off doing it uh, in the U.S. Um, that was one thing. Um, but we were trying to make a short and get that out of the door. But even, like, raising half a million dollars for a short in India, mm, that's tricky. Um, we we should have just done it in the U.S. where there's just more liquidity for these things. Uh, in fact, when we actually did a crowdfunding campaign, most of our money came from outside of India. So that's that's telling. The other problem was that um, uh, very um, the studio executives we spoke with, they didn't want to touch the property because they weren't sure how a bunch of uh, foreigners working on a property like this would come out in terms of uh, weighing Indian sensibilities in mind, right? Like India has a lot mm -hmm. of like, I don't like this movie. I will burn a theater. There's a lot of that that happens. And they just didn't want to, they didn't want to go near it that way. Um and then the third problem was that um, the, all the resources that we needed to make the movie the way it should be made, they didn't quite exist in India, right? Like I spoke about Massive or, you know, pretty much anything WIDA does. Um, they they would, you know, reduce the budget and everything and they would accommodate us in India. But just that setup for these things, um, there was a cost to it. Uh, and same goes for prosthetics. Like we scoured India for like uh, prosthetic creators and we couldn't find somebody who would make us a good Hanuman. We found somebody in Hong Kong who's very expensive. And at that point, we realized that it's probably cheaper to, you know, go to L.A. and get it done. Um, so mm -hmm. there's a lot of learnings that went in and, you know, uh, it almost felt like a non-starter. Um, but people still gave us a lot of support. There was a lot of doors that opened. We made a lot of friends, a lot of great connections. Um, would I do it all over again if I had a chance? Absolutely. Uh, I just probably would be a lot smarter about it. Shoot it in Hawaii. <laughs> Shoot it in Mexico. I'm trying to think, like, where you, you run into so many geographic uh, issues if you're trying to shoot something that takes place in India and in the U.S. if it's mostly exterior. If we shoot it, it'll probably be in, like, Malaysia, Indonesia. There you um, go. Just because of, like, the subsidy system there, the uh, strength of the dollar, um, the fact The ability that, you know, to find extras. Um, no, we'll probably have to bring in extras from uh, India, to be honest, just to, like, match the look. But, I mean, just generally speaking... Um, I, I just mean you can find Indians in Malaysia and Indonesia pretty easily. Actually, you know what? You have a, you have a point. There's a lot of them there. And also, another thing I noticed... Um, I, is... I wasn't saying that Indonesian and Malaysians could pass for Indians. <laughs> no. 
Uh, the air quality, and this is interesting, right? Because when you look at movies that are made in India, mm-hmm. um, even even though there a lot of them are shot on like red, um, it's almost like as if like there's a green quality naturally in the air, right? Um, and that might be interesting if, if we're if we end up shooting on film. But if you go to like you know countries that have uh, a lot more greenery, a lot more island like, like Philippines, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, the air quality is a little bit different. Um, and that's something, you know, you notice, like it gets picked up on camera. Um, it's interesting. I didn't notice that until we were actually in India shooting some shots and I was like, wow, like it actually affects, uh, how the outcome looks like, you know? Um, yeah. Interesting. Did you have actors in mind for the, for the various roles, uh, in your pitch deck? I did, I did. Um, we we won't get into that. That's let's skip that. Please. What did Ali play? Our friend Ali Fazal. Um, Ali wanted a cameo of some sort. Uh, I I hadn't assigned him one. I was like, okay, we'll we'll figure it out. I think he could be a Hanuman. I I, I don't think he wanted a uh, a main role. I think he just wanted to be like. So Ali's whole thing is that like. You know, and Ali, if you're hearing, what's up? Uh, I got your new WhatsApp number, by the way. Um, um, Ali's whole thing is that he, if he's not pay- playing like a like a serious strong lead role, he wants to have a lot of fun, you know. So, uh, and Fair I enough. get it. Uh, so I think that was the thing. Like with Ramayan, I think he was more in the mood of like I I can't do a big thing. Um, uh, and keep in mind, like Ali was a lead actor in like the movie I produced years ago, where I met Sage for the first time. Um, so he's definitely, you know, done that, but he's also a, a rather successful Bollywood figure, or maybe he just sells phones on Instagram now. I can't tell. No, he's like a legit, you know, internationally recognized actor now. Like people, you know, he goes to like foreign countries and people know him. It's crazy. He did a movie with, uh, uh Judy Dench, uh, as like, uh, one of the, uh, Victoria yeah, and Abdul, Victoria and Abdul. Like, you know, he's, he's been fast and furious. Like he, he does the work. Uh, but I think with uh, Ramayan, I think his headspace was more like, I want to show up, have some fun, oh, either yeah. for a week, you know, please don't make me wear prosthetics for three months. I, <laughs> yes. I thought about That's, that. Hanuman would be yeah. a fun role to play, but it is like sitting in a chair for four hours <laughs> plus yeah, whoever, to just get the mask on. It's going to be the actor who ends up playing Hanuman. I'm telling you where they're going to come from. They're going to come from a wrestling background. They're going to come from... <laughs> no, no, seriously. They're going to come from yes, a wrestling no, it background. Makes sense. It's it's gonna be uh, Dave Batista, right? Like wrestling background. <laughs> you really want to uh, break it into like Hollywood? Okay, you're gonna you're gonna dress up as Drax with the prosthetics, and you have to like work out on your core every single day uh, until you decide you just can't do it anymore ten years later. <laughs> so it's probably gonna be an actor uh, of like of like that you know uh, intent. Wrestling dudes who want to make it into acting makes sense. Do you, Gavin, what's do your you... pitch? Or sorry, did you uh, follow? I, I was just wondering if there has been a live action version of the Ramayan that you'd recommend so far, or if that just is something that has remained out of reach. Well, I was audiences. looking for this Ramayan animation. I came across a lot of uh, live action series that like do not look very good. <laughs> I, I I don't like any of them, and yeah, you know, okay. um, no offense to my friends who actually worked on making some of these live action properties. I've met some of their directors; they're good people. Um, mm-hmm. and I'm not really commenting on their craft. It's just like the nature of it is so budget restrictive. You cannot make right. the things you want, you know, um, it's, it's huge. And like p- picking a short, like you did is where you pick maybe a slice of it and maybe doing it as like, I know that some of them are doing as web series, as mini series, 
that seems almost more intelligent because then you can like take some risks right one well, and, and like have the budget to do it in a way that like you're not just constantly making sacrifices yeah yeah and india is great for production design like jesus indian production design indian armorers you know uh windless steel crafts up in dehradun uh they're friends of ours um uh they're amazing people uh run it windless big shout out to you sir um they make amazing weapons they let me carry actual swords and like you know something that looks like a klingon backlit like you know on the train from dehradun to bombay because i'm not flying with that um but you know so <laughs> i would say that like indian armorers you know indian uh, production design indian costume design um arguably like top top three, top five in the world any day. Um, but it's just that, you know, uh, things like prosthetics, things like VFX, that's something that the economics of it won't quite work in India. Uh, the only mm -hmm. people who do it are like big Marvel movies, big Disney movies. Like they have uh, studios in India that are doing all the grunt work uh, in the VFX world. Um, and they're able to like sustain those salaries and everything. And it's more of like a uh, cost center than a leadership center. Um, and it's just, it just won't work out. Like if I were to make a remind again, it has to be made here in the U S interesting. Well, I'm glad you, you went to India to do it. Cause I at least got to come visit and have some adventures. <laughs> yeah. You had fun. Oh, wow. Um, I guess my adaptation, the thing that, you know, we mentioned, uh, mostly in joking, uh, but super Mario brothers. And I do think like with the tail aspect of this, where it is, a you know an epic but there are a lot of chapters and some of them are mini bosses by design there's a big bad and there's like you know setbacks and travel so it, it does make sense it's not my favorite kind of video game but you know give it a kind of zelda-esque uh nearly open world but there's just so many rich characters to talk to i i would give this a shot in terms of it makes sense for a video game to me yeah, 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 several different types of video games could be made for like yeah. you can have your Age of Empires tale, you can have something where you're just playing as Hanuman. You can, yeah, I mean, you took thank thankfully I had thought of like three or four pitches, but that was <laughs> that was mine. Um, yeah, the good the good thing with uh, sort of evergreen properties is that you can do anything with them: board games, movies, TV shows, anime, you know, video games, action figures. Um, basically yeah. anything that's been done with Lord of the Rings, uh, you can do with Ramayan, you know, Which a, <laughs> there, lot, there we go. a lot has been done with Lord I'm of the pitching Rings. a, the most expensive Amazon series ever made the Ramayana. So you see like Bezos really likes this. So we're just going to get a really expensive Amazon series. Uh, you know, what's, what's, what's weird after, after shitting on this movie for a while, <laughs> I do think anime is a pretty good way to tell this story. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking more... I've got... Compared to basically everyone else I know, I dip my toes a lot less into the anime pool. But I have grown to really love a couple things that, like, Netflix has put out. The Castlevania series and Yatsuko, which is a much, much closer analog about the um, about the African samurai. A real character. Um, who but who lived in a world with much less psychic powers and mechs and all the other shit that made that fun. Um, I think you can delve into things a lot more, and I would love to see this done in that animation style. But what I really want to see is the part of, of the Ramayan that was cut from this movie. 
after after I watched mm-hmm. this yesterday, um, I spent today watching. I watched Darren Aronofsky Ar, Darren Aronofsky's Noah, which I guess I don't really need to talk about. It. I love that movie, and I watched uh, Sita Sings the Blues. Uh, which is a movie that either Vinit, either you or Sean showed me this. I guess it also doesn't really matter. Uh, probably me. Uh, I, I met Nina Paley at the Info Festival where I saw this film. Um, oh, very cool. Yeah. Um, and Sita Sings the Blues is a very autobiographical uh, animation where I'm going to struggle to actually define this, uh, where it crosses her breakup of her marriage with the last part of the Ramayan, which as we've talked about is where Sita comes home and everything's kind of, kind of fucked. Um, it's just a fucked part of the story and it's very hard to tell. Um, but I think that challenge is what makes it interesting. Um, when we were developing, and I don't want to take too much credit for what is really Vanit and Sean's and a couple other people's project. I don't really want to take any credit, but we did get to spend some time just pitching ideas back and forth. That was the thing I was so interested in is how do you tell that tale to a modern audience? Um, I don't really have a pitch for it, but I want to see like a female filmmaker with a strong voice take a crack at it. Hmm. I mean, you can uh, find Nina Paley on Facebook and just DM her. She's pretty cool. <laughs> I saw today that there's a follow-up to that that she did about the book of Exodus called uh, Seder Masochism, and I'm going to watch that immediately. That's so funny. Yeah, I really liked the movie. I definitely, it is it is the the existing version of the Ramayan that I will plug to people. So we're in recommendations now. I, I mean, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to do a Six Degrees of Space Jam? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, James Earl Jones. No, no. it's that. I mean, you could get, oh, God, you could get there from James Earl Jones. Yeah. Mm, no, it's not worth it. Um, I'm going to yeah, play so- Noah then because it's great. And it also has a fun third act that is just like, oh, this is an inaccessible part of a story that I can't believe works. And I don't want to spoil it because I, I want Gavin, I want you to watch this fucking movie. <laughs> I, I just remember seeing the trailer and the rock monsters and kind of it's the, out. the rock monsters are great, but that's like that's not what the movie is. It's like front loaded with action and then it's like fucked up for the last part. It just it sounds like um, a Roland Emmerich movie with the with you know no. Noah undertones. So know. like maybe like the first part or the like the fun action movie, but like the. The second part is basically watching Russell Crowe's descent into madness. Noah has more in common with Apocalypse Now than it does Independence Day or 2012. Okay. All right. Well, Cedar sings the blues and uh, and Noah. Noah. Yeah. Um. Fair enough. Uh, I'm gonna recommend just because you know the one of the earlier animes that I, I mean I I grew up on all the Miyazaki stuff and Studio Ghibli more specifically. And I know I've recommended Lupin the Third, uh, Castle of Cagliostro before, which is like my favorite and one of my big entry points. Um, but because Netflix just dropped the new Cowboy Bebop, which I haven't checked out, I know it's getting a lot of. It's so good. I've seen the whole thing. <laughs> it's freaking incredible. Okay, I've been hearing really? very mixed things. Yeah, all of our friends but fucking hate it. <laughs> I I was just gonna say, like you know, you know, I, I have no 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 qualm with it. Haven't seen it yet. Uh, so no judgment on that, but like the the old anime has 
some of the most incredible, uh, like people are still cribbing fights from it very, very vividly. Like, um, it's uh, cool. Oh my I'm God. Sure what's we'll the, cover what's it the Aaron at some Magruder point show? on this podcast? What's the, what's what? the, what's the Aaron Magruder show? The, the boondocks yeah. like steals healthily from it. Um, <sighs> so good. and yeah, just go check out some Cowie Bebop if you haven't yet. Um, I don't think the, the entire run of the show is like all hits, but like the oh. good episodes are very good and the bad episodes are only like half an hour and yeah. they're not that bad. So there's, there yeah. are things I forget about the show and I haven't finished it because it's not all bangers, but, uh, it's can't very speak good. ill of it either. We should, I should finish it at some point and then we should probably <laughs> cover it on this podcast because it's one of those cultural touchstones for a lot of people. Vinny, what you, you got? Mm, right. Does, does the recommendation have to be like specific to? No. No. Uh, <laughs> something, something you would like and you can also just plug your own shit. Well, you um, can do that too in addition. <laughs> Yeah, I would say uh, if, you know, uh, the listeners to this podcast have been given it a chance, um, go watch uh, The Lives of Others. Um, it's a German movie um, made, it's set during uh, the Cold War period when East and West Germany were divided. Uh, it's just a fantastic, you know, spy movie. It's got uh, a lot of soul. It's uh, hmm. they're German, so you know emotions are a little repressed, but you know it shows up on their faces. It is a fantastic film that uh, deserves to be deserves to be seen. I've been uh, a little bit into like the whole uh, World War Two things happening in Germany mode. Um, I watched uh, the Wolfenstein video game walkthrough just because just because um, they should make a movie on that and they haven't. Um, and then Paul Verhoeven's Black Book is also incredible. Um, yeah, there's just some, like, amazing, you know, German-made movies that, uh, we don't quite, uh, get a chance to appreciate over here. Um, and yeah, you know, here on a Remind podcast, I'm pitching German, uh, war period movies, but... Alright, hey, is... you know? We have no rules. I mean, this is an Indian war period movie, I suppose. It is. Alright. <laughs> uh, where can we find... Thank you so much for stopping by, Vinny. Yeah. Where can we find you on the internet if we desire to do so? Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, just, uh, I guess LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, just the normal places. If you just Google Vinitsa and have Ramaya and you'll see a bunch of links and just click and you'll end up at my, where I live. You see, oh. you still selling <laughs> delicious Indian snacks? I am actually. Um, uh, so I'm the CEO of, uh, Eat Makana. We make lily seed snacks. Uh, they're harvested from water lilies that grow, uh, you know, a hundred miles from where Mount Everest is. Um, they're better than popcorn. They're uh, antifungal, anti-diabetic, and they could probably even reverse aging according to some studies. So yeah, go to eatmakana.com and use the code SAGE uh, to get 25% off, which is a code I will create okay. right after this call. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Wow. Okay, wonderful. Uh, you can find me at Hold for Playing on various things. You can find us at Still Good Pod. You can find Gavin. He's around. I am. Yeah. Uh, thank, you. <laughs> thank you so much for for play the song 41 <laughs>
backwards to your mate. It's one thing to complain, but when you're driving me insane, well then I think it's time that we took a break. Maybe we're just trying too hard, when really it's closer than it is too far.